Denver, there's a there's a little racetrack here in town that has a, a, a legal drag strip, and they're doing the Faster Pastor Race. A local Christian radio station is doing a Pastor Appreciation Week, and so I'm going to be drag racing with a bunch of other pastors here in town. I'm going to turn off these notifications because my, my iPad keeps telling me that, uh, that I'm online. We already know that. <laughs> so... I'm getting ready to go on this drag race to Bandamere Speedway and thinking about the road to Rome. And uh, let's look, let's go to pick up our study where we've been studying in the, in the Gospels and then in the book of Acts. We're going to be finishing our study in Acts, going to the book of Romans here today. Last we, we spoke, we were looking at Paul standing trial in Caesarea before Felix and Festus. And a new Roman governor, Herod Agrippa, had just come into power. And uh, his wife, Bernice, who um, was also Jewish, and they're speaking, um, Paul speaking before Agrippa and all these uh, governors um, at the seaside shore of Caesarea. And here's what happens. As Paul stands before Agrippa, he said, um, he's, they're not sure what to write to the emperor about making charges about uh, the apostle Paul. And so Paul, as he stands trial, he begins to tell them about the gospel. And um, he tells this testimony of one day he was one of the Jews uh, of the temple that was persecuting Christians. He was putting him in prison and jail, even killing some of them. And Jesus Christ appears to him on the road. And Paul sees this shining light, and Christ uh, appears to him and makes, uh, makes it known that he's persecuting the wrong people. And so Paul explains his conversion. And then Agrippa interrupts Paul's testimony, and he says, Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might be the same as I am, except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others who stood, were there, stood and left, and they went out. And they talked it over, and they agreed, This man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, He could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. You remember from our study last week that Paul um, said, Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I should be tried in a Roman court. Uh, I should not be before a Jewish court. If I've done something wrong, um, let me be tried in in a in a Roman um, in a Roman court. And yesterday, when I preached this message, we were at the church picnic, and I was talking about how God makes His presence known and seen through all of nature. Well, I was thinking, how can I illustrate that here in the house? Well, I have a little beet plant. These are Detroit beets. There's two plants, one here and one here. I planted these from a seed during the winter time in the windowsill of my basement, and it's grown up. I'm going to transplant them today or tomorrow into my backyard garden, and hopefully by August I'll have some beets that I can slice up thinly, cover with a little butter and salt, and enjoy. And you know, God is the God of planting and harvest, seed time and harvest, winter, summer, uh, winter, spring, summer, fall, right? All the, all the four seasons. And he knows the, the times and the days of our life. And he orders our steps. And what we see in the life of Paul 
is God is turning Paul from Jerusalem to Rome. He's, he's making uh, this transition into Paul's life from ministering to the Jews and Jewish people coming out of Judaism into taking the gospel to the Greeks and the Romans and the Africans and the Europeans and the Celts and all the other nations of the world are hearing the gospel and are going to hear the gospel because of what we study in these next coming weeks. And especially as we get into the book of Romans, we're going to learn a lot about salvation theology by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And um, it's not that God has canceled Judaism, but he is he's made a way for all nations to be reconciled to himself. And that's what Paul makes known. So uh, Agrippa and Bernice and the remaining governors send Paul on a sailing ship to Rome. And so the, Paul says, hey, this is, this is a doomed trip. We shouldn't go at this time of year. There's going to be winter storms. Uh, we should wait. <laughs> and, uh, of course, they don't listen because he's a prisoner of Rome. So uh, they, they head on anyway uh, towards Rome from Caesarea. And sure enough, there's a storm at sea. And uh, people are getting seasick. I don't know if you've ever been seasick before, but you can go for hours. And sometimes if there's choppy weather for days on end, people can be seasick for a very long time. So the people weren't eating. Soldiers weren't eating. His fellow prisoners weren't eating. No one could keep anything down um, because of the, the wind and the waves were so choppy. And then Paul realizes that, that the ship's about to break up. And of course, everyone's worried about drowning. The, the soldiers uh, want to kill the prisoners because if any of them escape, that's a, immediately a death sentence for, for prison guards back in Roman times. And Paul gets this vision of an angel in a dream saying, Paul, no one's going to die <laughs> on, this, on this journey. You'll lose the ship. But if you'll listen, if you'll obey, um, all the lives will be spared. And so here's we're picking up in Acts 27, verse 21. Here's what Paul says. He said, no one, no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and he said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. Uh, you would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Paul says, yeah, we're going to lose the boat. Um, but if you listen to me, I think we'll save our lives. And of course, the sailors do everything they can to try to save the journey. The boat's starting to break apart, so they lash lines underneath the ship to try to tie it together. But the storm is just too great. They come up on the shoals and in uh, just the shallow waters, and the boat breaks apart. And the people are are panicking. The prison guards are wanting to kill all the prisoners. And Paul says, don't do it. We're all present and accounted for. Everyone just grab a piece of the boat and we're going to float to that beach over there. And sure enough, all the people grab a grab sections of the boat, little pieces of whatever they can hang on to, and they float ashore and they find themselves on this um, island of Malta. Um, and actually before Malta, yeah, it, they find themselves on this deserted island of Malta. And 
Paul uh, and all the prisoners, of course, they're wet from the journey, but they're probably grateful to be alive. And everyone's a president accounted for. But because they're wet, they're, they're cold. They decide to make a fire so they can warm up next to the fire. When Paul is uh, getting ready to make fire, he's grabbing sticks and pulling sticks together. There happens to be a viper and a bunch of dead branches that, that latches onto his arm. And he shakes the snake off into the fire. And the natives of the island say, well, he, this man must be cursed. He must have done something terrible because he's been bitten by this very deadly snake. We know he'll, he'll be dead in minutes. Well, after about 10 minutes or so pass by, Paul doesn't show any signs of poisoning. He's not sick. He doesn't fall over. They, then, they, then the natives change their mind. They go, he, he's not cursed. He must be a god. And they, they begin to venerate him and try to worship him as a god. He goes, look, I'm not a god. I'm just a guy. I'm just a person like you. I serve the living God, and he's the one who's protected me. And, of course, this fulfills what Jesus says about uh, they, those who come in my name. They will, they will uh, speak with new tongues. They will heal the sick. They'll raise the dead. Blind eyes will open. Deaf ears will hear, right? And the demons will be cast out. And if, even if they handle deadly serpents, these, they'll, they'll in no ways be harmed. And so Paul fulfills that that uh, promise of Jesus with a deadly snake that he's not harmed by the snake uh, that bite him that bites him. So they they find their way from Malta to uh, with another boat that's going to Rome. They board that ship and Paul makes his way to Rome and he's under house arrest and he that means that he actually has visitation privileges. People can can come to see him. It's kind of like uh, a white collar criminal in our culture. Uh, he has the ability to come and go freely, but he's always under guard. So he has to be back to his house by a certain time. Um, and of course, he has to still pay for his own living expenses. But he just has basically a, a Roman uh, bodyguard to make sure he doesn't leave before he stands trial. And he goes to many Jewish house churches. He goes to Jewish synagogues. He, he lectures in um, the halls of academia in uh, Rome. And he wins many people to the cause of Christianity, to the idea of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a powerful teaching. It's, it's not anything that people ever, had ever heard before. Because man's religion always fails in reaching God. See, man's attempts of, of reaching God always have to do with doing something. Like, I've got I've to sacrifice this animal. I've got to perform in such a way. I've got I've to somehow prove my worth to God, and somehow then he'll find me worthy. Well, the gospel of grace through faith is completely opposite to that. That I've heard it described this way, that every other world religion is spelled D-O. Do this, do that, don't do that, do this, don't do that. But Christianity, true faith, the, the gospel of grace through faith is spelled D-O-N-E. It's already been done. Jesus did it at the cross and, and proving by his resurrection that because he lives, we get to live also. And that I'm saved because of a free gift that comes from God, not because of anything that I've done. It's only because of what he's done. And so this is a very attractional message 
for pagan believers, for, for people who've lived their lives in paganism or in religion, trying to, to earn their way to God or somehow cut themselves and bleed over an altar or, or uh, make these sacrifices to Diana or doing whatever they had to do to, to, to appease the gods when they realize that God is real, even though he's an unseen God, He's, he's benevolent, he's gracious, he's kind, he's the God behind nature, he's the God who's behind loving relationships, he's the one who's who put it all in order and keeps things together, he holds everything together. When people begin to believe in a God like that, um, the, the love of God begins to fill their hearts. And that's, that's the gospel that gets preached as Paul goes to Rome. And of course, Rome is the center of the cultural universe at that time. Uh, all the, there's a phrase that said all roads lead to Rome, and at that time that was true. The network of Roman roads went everywhere in the known world, and it was the most efficient way of getting from city to city to establish trade routes. When people came from all over the world to establish relationships or trades or finance, they always used the Roman roads, and the gospel traveled with great strength and power throughout Rome. So, uh, we're going to get into the book of Romans because the, the book of Acts ends where Paul is under house arrest. He's, he's, uh, he's telling the people that this God that, that we've heard about is not just the God of the Jews, but he's the God of, also of all people. Um, and he has a plan for all, all nations to be reconciled to himself. And so he writes this letter to the Christians of the church in Rome. And I want to just break down to you the whole book of Romans, because for the next several Sundays, next several weekends, we're going to be teaching through this amazing letter to the church. Chapters 1 through 3, basically the message is all have sinned, that there's no one righteous, no one does good, no one is good enough for God, everyone has fallen short, no one deserves um, God's favor. Uh, chapters 4 through 5 is justification by grace through faith. Now that justification may sound like sort of a fancy word, like what is, what is justification? Well, if I were to simplify it for you, it really means just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I hadn't sinned. That when I am justified, it's as if that I hadn't done the things wrong that I did wrong. And so it's justification by grace, by a free gift through faith. How do, it's a gift. How do I receive it? By faith in Christ. And he gives me that gift of wiping away my sin and giving me a new life, a new start with God and with Christ. So that's a, that's a powerful and, and it's, it's central to the gospel. Um, chapters 6 through 8 talks about life in the spirit. Of course, so many people are living, even in our culture now, in the Roman times it was well known, but even in our times, hedonism, pleasure seeking is a huge part of what people live for, right? People say, oh, I just want to be happy. I just want to, I just want to be uh, joyful. I, I just never want to be sad. I never want to be angry. I just want to, I want to live a good life. Well, um, <laughs> that's, that's, if you, all you're living for is personal pleasure all the time, um, you're, you, you, it's going to fall flat at some point because no one's happy all of the time. 
Um, happiness comes and goes. It's based on happenstances. And, 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 but joy, the joy goes deeper than that. You can be joyful even in bad circumstances because it comes from a deeper place. So Paul talks about, he contrasts life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. That if we have God's spirit in us, we have life, right? Uh, to live as Christ, to die as gain, to have God's spirit living inside you, it gives us a new nature, new desires. I have a, I have a, I have a, a new appetite to know more about God, to read his word, to do the things that would make him happy, and to live the Christian life. And the Christian life is not just hard, it's impossible. No one can do it in their own strength. The Christianity can only be done with God's Spirit at work inside of us. It's His Spirit that gives us the, the ability to both will and to do uh, the work and the will of the Father. And so that's why life in the Spirit is so vitally important. Chapters 9 through 11 in Romans talks about the church and Israel. Now the church is the church and Israel is Israel. And God has a plan for Israel and God has a plan for the church. The church has not replaced Israel, right? And Israel has not some, somehow become the church. These are two different entities. God has made promises to Israel. God has made promises to the church, and God will never break his promises. His promises are yes and amen. Now, are all Israel Israel? <laughs> Paul says that there's a spiritual Israel, that when we, when we come into Christ, when we come into God, when we come into a fulfillment of a relationship with God, that's what Christ does. He, he gives us a, a greater fulfillment of the very character and nature of God as a father, as a loving father who has a plan for each of his children, and he shows no favoritism. And that's pretty powerful. So Paul uh, uh, just kind of elaborates on that in chapters 9 through 11. And then finally, chapters 12 through 16 are just lessons about practical Christian living. Like how, <laughs> how can you, how do you be a Christian? What does a Christian say? What does a Christian do? How do they, what's a Christian attitude? What does Christian leadership look like? Well, what, should the, what, is, what should the Christian community of a church look like? Paul kind of explains all of that in the latter part of Romans. And so let's look at a quick overview of chapter one, and we'll go chapter two on chapter two and three, and then I'll wrap up the teaching here today. Chapter one, Paul gives a greeting to the, to the Christians in Rome, he talks about God's good news, and he makes this statement, and it's so powerful for us, even Christians today. He says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ, for it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how to make, how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is faith, it is through faith that the righteous person has life. Again, this, this whole thing of being accepted by God and having peace with God, it comes as a gift. It comes by, by a simple childlike belief in God, trust in God, letting God come in, have his way, and letting him become our spiritual father. That is a radical idea. That's an idea that most religions don't have about God. Most religions 
think of God as the rule maker, the guy who brings the hammer, who's just waiting to lower the boom. And yet at the same time, uh, it doesn't mean that God just winks at bad behavior. He doesn't just wink at sin. Um, he does, he's going to deal with sin. God does have an anger towards sin. Here's what Paul says about that in Romans 1, 18. He says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, life itself is a miracle. <laughs> the fact that I had a little, looked like a pebble, I put it in the ground, I started to water it, and it became this. It became Detroit Beats. <laughs> that plants, nature, um, life itself, the, the, um, how planets and the stars move with precision in the universe. Like There's so much design, you cannot be ignored. And yet many people willfully ignore the obvious that something set this universe in order. It had a beginning. And if it had a beginning, it has a beginner. And yet many people become very uncomfortable about this idea of God because then it means I might be accountable for my behavior. I might be, have to be accountable for the things I say, for the things I do, how I treat other people. This, if there's a God, I might have to submit to some of the things that he wants for me, that I would do well, I'd be wise to listen to what he says and what he wants. And yet many of our people in our culture are willfully ignorant. And many people couch it in language like, I'm, I'm scientific. Well, you know, God is the God of science. If, if all truth is God's truth, God is the one who created gravity. God is the one who put the universe in order. Um, so when people say that they believe in science, I don't think they believe in science. I think they believe in scientism. They believe in the idea of elevating their so many false proofs to confirm their own biases. And that's not science. That's scientism. And we don't worship science. Uh, we worship the God who made it all. And he's the one who's behind science. In fact, without God and his truth, you wouldn't have science. You wouldn't have objective truth. You wouldn't have a repeatable experiments that would, rep would repeat the same outcomes so that we could have medicine and cures for disease and predictable science. <laughs> like these, these things were created by God. And so that's, it's worth thinking about. But many people don't want to believe in God, so they confirm their own bias through false proof. And we have to be very careful about that. So here's what Paul says in Romans 1 near the end of the chapter in verse 28. He says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they never should have done. In, in other words, God is not going to force himself on anybody. You'll have whatever relationship with God you choose to have. If you choose to come close to God, you'll have a deep and abiding friendship with God. If you choose to say, God, I don't believe in you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. God, get away from me. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force himself on anybody. You, you can choose to live apart from God 
And that, that will be the life that you choose. And many of you have heard me say it before, but God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves there through the choices that we make. But many people say, how could I believe in a loving God that sends people to hell? Well, he is a loving God. It's, I'd say that's the wrong question. The better question is, how could people reject a loving God who's done everything he can to, to make a way for you to have a relationship with him through his son. How could you reject a loving God? The question is not for, for God to answer. The question is for us to answer. How, how, could, how could I say no to a God who loves me so much, who's made a way for me to know him and to love him and to serve him and to become more like him if I'll be adopted into his family and become one of his sons and submit to whatever correction he might have for me? And so he talks about uh, these people who refuse to acknowledge God in their hearts, that he's going to give them whatever they choose. He said their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They... Um, they invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises and they're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anything, anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do the same. You see, on this road to Rome, Paul, first of all, he's speaking to uh, to the Roman officials. Secondly, he spoke speaking to Roman citizens as he comes into hit the shipwreck. He speaks to the Jews living in Rome, and now he's speaking to Christians in Rome. He's saying, "Be careful! Watch out! Sin is crouching at your door. You got to be very careful not to have an attitude of of do your own thing, but to submit to God and and live in a relationship with Him and allow Him to knock off the rough edges." And to help you to become more like Christ. Are we going to do that perfectly? Of course not. Are we going to mess up? Yes, many times. You're going to mess up. No one lives a perfect spiritual life ever. <laughs> In fact, if someone thinks that they are without sin, that's their biggest sin. Their sin is pride. Their sin is self-righteousness. They think they're doing it on their own. No one is an island. Everyone needs God and we need other people. This brings us to chapter 2 of chapter 2 of Romans. Paul begins to speak to backsliders in the Roman church. He says, God will judge sin. He says, you may think that you can condemn uh, other people, but you're just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you you are condemning yourself. For who, you do, who are you to judge others who do the very same things? We know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? He's saying, God is so good. He's so kind. And for you to say, well, I don't struggle with that. You know you when you point the finger at somebody, there's three pointing right back at you? It's not our job to judge other people. It's not our job to judge sinners. God does that on his own. 
it's our job to work on us, to focus on areas of our lives of moral defects and moral uh, failings and character flaws where we need to say, okay, God, help me become better in this area. I want to be more like Christ. I want to reflect your, your glory. I want to become more like Jesus in this way. And if you'll submit to his correction, you begin to read God's word and become more like him all the time, you'll find that those rough edges come off, that you will be more like Jesus as you submit to that process of discipleship. Paul continues here, he says, but, you, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth instead of, uh, of lives, li live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. He then goes back to this, this, this didactic, this discussion about Jews and the law and about God's plan for both Jews and Gentiles, for all people. God has a plan for all people, which leads into chapter 3 of Rome, where he, Paul begins to address all sinners everywhere, he begins to address people of all nations. He says, God remains faithful. He says, is there an advantage of being Jewish? Well, yes, of course. We, we received faith from uh, Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the truth that we've seen from the law, the character and nature of who he is and his righteousness. But the law is incomplete. It doesn't help us actually obey it. It just shows us where we messed up. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. And he, Paul just reiterates this idea in Romans chapter 3 that all people are sinners. No one is sinless. Uh, and without God, we are utterly lost. He says, well then, what should we conclude? This is Romans chapter 3 verse 9. What should we conclude? That we Jews are better than others? Not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are filled with cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace, and they have no fear of God at all. Doesn't that sound like the world in 2021? People just do whatever they want. They're not accountable to anybody. We have this idea like, no one can tell me what to do, right? Well, God can, right? He's the ultimate authority. Verse 19 of chapter 3 says, Obviously the law applies to those who, to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses, to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we truly are. So the, the law doesn't give us the ability to overcome sin. It just points out 
where our sin really is. And so this is the great news of the whole gospel right here in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Christ took our punishment. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned against him in times past. For he was looking ahead and, and including them in on what he would do at, in this present time. God did this to, to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. I hope you're getting this. God, God does not wink at sin. But at the same time, he's provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sin and to overcome the sin nature because of Jesus Christ. Says, then Paul says in verse 27 of, of chapter 3, he says, Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does that mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Paul is saying here that if we receive Christ, we get a new nature. We get a new heart. The God of all people everywhere has made provision for our sinfulness. And when I get Christ, I get his nature inside of me. And I begin to want to do the things that Christ would do. His spirit begins to live inside of me. And I am justified by grace through faith in Christ. I mean, that's a pretty radical teaching. In fact, most Americans, I would say, in my country, and if you're watching in another country, most people don't really understand this. And even as a believer, I cannot say that I fully understand the mystery of the gospel completely. Although I, I put my trust in Christ and I believe it's true, I don't know how he does it specifically, but I know that he does because I've seen the evidence of it with thousands of people in my personal experience. God forgives sinners and he puts them on a new track, a new path in their life. And he begins to change the way they think, the way they talk, the way they behave, how they treat other people, how they spend their money, what they do with their skills, talents, and abilities. It's amazing what happens when a person begins to submit their life to the control and the power and the care of God. Well, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never said, God, come in. God, I want you to be in charge. 
maybe this is your moment to say, okay, God, okay, I'm ready to surrender. This is a simple prayer that I like to lead people in. It's, it's called STP, sorry, thank you, please. It's just, a, it's just a prayer of surrender, saying, okay, I'm going to give up the controls. God, I'm going to let you call the shots from now on. It's admitting your sins and then asking God to take control so that you can begin to live a life that Christ would live if you were walking around in your body. So if you've never prayed that prayer, would you pray it with me right now? Just say this, wherever you are, just stop the car. So wherever you just create up a moment of holy space for a minute, just stop what you're doing. Just pray this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that God raised you from the dead according to the scriptures. Please come into my heart. Be my savior and be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a powerful prayer, especially if you mean it with all your heart and begin to say, okay, God, I'm gonna walk with you as the boss now. I'm gonna start living with you in mind, I'm going to start the day and really seek you, maybe meditate for a few minutes and just reflect on his truth, his promises, start reading the Bible, get into the, the community of a, of a local church, of a spiritual family, and grow in your faith. Well, I'm so glad that you watched this teaching here today. Maybe share this with a friend. It's easy to do that. You can just, whatever platform you're watching this on, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or Periscope, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, or Instagram, you could just share this. My handle on all those different platforms is Pastor Wayne H. Say, hey, I just saw this great message and I think you might be blessed by it. Or, hey, did you know that God, is, he saves us not because we're good, but because Jesus is good? That all God requires is that we just simply begin to trust and believe in him. And if we'll make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we begin to have a new relationship, a new friendship with God. Most people don't really understand that that's how it works. And yet it's such a wonderful truth. It's the good news. It's the gospel. So I encourage you to share that with somebody here today. You can also support our ministry online. I'm going to show you how to do that here in a minute as I close out the video. Um, you can give online. You go to mysummitchurch.com, click the donate button. You can give by text. If you open your texting app and text this number, 303-625-9434. Uh, that's 303-625-9434. And enter the amount of your gift in the text uh, and press send. You'll get a, a series of prompts that will show you how to uh, complete the transaction and support the ministry that way. I'm going to give you a blessing and just give the closing video there. and You can see different ways you can be a part of the ministry. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you, lift your countenance, and give you his peace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Uh, stay tuned here for the closing announcement. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104 
or finally text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.